So tonight we are finishing up the the churches or the section in the Revelation of the churches of Revelation. Uh, we'll hit the, the uh, seventh church uh, tonight. Uh, but just kind of a way of review as uh, this is the last time you last week you will see this map. So you're probably like, yes, uh, it's about time. Uh, we will move on. But uh, we've been looking at these seven churches, and you can see, again, that the whole idea that you start in Ephesus, and there's this postal route or this trade route that was a circular trade route that would go up and around, and it had these seven cities on it. So you would start in Ephesus, right where the book of Revelation chapter 2 starts, and you keep on going around in circles until you get to what the one we're talking about tonight, Laodicea. Now, you can go the opposite way, too. You can go the, the other direction, but most people went from Ephesus to Smyrna, the Pergamon, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, in that direction. Uh, so Ephesus was the start. And so the, when we started the churches, and again, I don't have these in your handouts, so kind of this more review. Uh, but uh, the first one was the church in Ephesus. Does anybody remember what uh, their problem was, that their issue was? They lost their first love. In other words, but yet they were doing all the right things. And that was the one thing that Jesus calls them out for. They're doing all the right things. They're doing everything, but they forgot the reason why. They're testing to make sure that the what they're receiving and what's being taught to them is, is according to the gospel of Jesus. But they forget the reason why they're supposed to be doing these things. It just has become, if you want to say, an academic adventure for them. And so Jesus goes to them and says, you lost your first love, you forgot the reason why you should be doing these things is because of your love for God. And so he tells them to repent and to go back to what you did when you first understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember when you received the gospel of Jesus Christ and the excitement that you had and the joy that you had, go back to that time and remind yourself of when you first believed. Then the second church was church in Smyrna. Does anybody remember what was happening in that church? Persecution. That they were, this was one of those churches that Jesus doesn't condemn. Jesus doesn't say anything negative about it. It's the simple fact that they are hanging on to the gospel of Jesus. They're being facing persecution, and they will have increased persecution for, uh, Revelation says, for 10 days, but because of it in the book of Revelation, it's figurative for a short time. And then Jesus tells them to be what? To be faithful, to continue to hang on to the gospel of Jesus Christ in spite of that persecution. And again, this is one of the churches that Jesus doesn't call out and say, you know, you're not doing too well. No, Smyrna is, you're, you're doing great. You know, keep going. Uh, the next church, uh, Pergamon. Does anybody know what they were dealing with? Idols. Balaam. This is the Balaam one. Their culture was influencing the church. That was what was happening in Balaam with the, the Old Testament. Balaam uh, went to the, the king of Moab and used and persuaded him to do some things to get the children of Israel to fall into sin. Uh, that's exactly what was happening here in, in Pergamum. You had the culture being, uh, the church being influenced by their culture, and Jesus tells them to do what? To repent. A lot of these, well, a lot of the things usually um, when the churches that are that Jesus calls out, usually the first thing he tells them to do is repent. And it means 
And I, the understanding is admit that you are heading in the wrong direction. Admit that this is that that you're being influenced in this sense. Admit that you're being influenced by your culture and change direction. That's what the word repent means. When we come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, we repent of our sins. So in other words, we admit that we are sinners, that we're heading in the wrong direction, and we change direction and now start living in a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. And that's um, repentance. Um, Thyatira, Tyre, the next city. Does anybody know what was happening with that? Jezebel. In Pergamum, the culture was influencing the church. In Thyatira, because of Jezebel, they had false teachers inside the church that was leading them away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus tell say to them that's going to come? They're going to be judged. And this judgment is going to be sickness, and some of them are even going to die, the followers of Jezebel, and of course even Jezebel. I'm going to cause this great sickness upon this woman Jezebel. And it wasn't her real name Jezebel, but she was acting like Jezebel. I'm going to cause great sickness upon her that she's not going to be able to leave her bed. Similar language as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians with the Lord's Supper. They take it, you take it in an unworthy manner. Well, guess what? Some of you are sick because of that, and some of you have even fallen asleep, which is a bit Bible way of saying they're dead, uh, which is crazy when we think about that. Um, but that's what happens. Sardis, next city. Anybody remember what's happening in Sardis? The church is dead. They have fallen asleep. Again, Sardis is that town that they thought, no, we're, we're never going to be conquered. We have this giant wall, and they allowed the enemy to come in not just once, but twice because they didn't really defend themselves because they thought we had this giant wall to protect us. And Jesus says, you know, you're, the church, they are believers, they are just like this. You have fallen asleep, and the enemy of your soul, which is Satan, the enemy of your soul is. Like you gotta, you gotta stand guard against them. You can't fall asleep, and that's why Jesus says, "What does Jesus say with them? To wake up, stop sleeping spiritually." Last week we looked at the the church in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, uh, not the Philadelphia we typically think of, but the, remember in ancient Philadelphia what was happening there? They were small in number, but yet they were faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Smyrna and Philadelphia, the second one and the second to the last one. God doesn't say anything really negative about them. Actually, he doesn't say anything, not really. He doesn't say anything negative about them. Smyrna, they are faithful. Keep on going. Philadelphia, in spite of you being small in number, meaning there's few believers in the city of Philadelphia, you are remaining faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does Jesus tell them to do? Keep going. Keep hanging on. Don't give up. And again, we talked about how at the end last time how that applies. You know, God doesn't God doesn't really care about the numbers that we have in our churches. What God cares about is are we being faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We as believers, when we stand before God and, and give an account for our lives, He's going to judge us based on upon have we been faithful to what He's called us to. And sometimes we think of Billy Graham and, and we think, man, he's going to be like all these rewards in heaven because of the amount of people he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with. 
Someone asked him one time about that, and and he said, and basically he said, I'm going to be judged upon have I been faithful to the opportunities that God has given to me? And he said, I've missed opportunities. And we're thinking in our minds, thinking, why do you you went around the whole world? And he, but he that broke his heart about how he missed these opportunities and that he was not completely faithful to what God has called him to. Uh, and so that's the, that's the end read. That's what we're going to be judged upon is have we been faithful? And that's what Philadelphia, believers there in Philadelphia, they were small in number, but, God, but they've been faithful to the gospel. And God says, keep going. Don't give up. Continue to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that was a uh, quick overview of the cities that we've looked at on that uh, circular road. The next one, of course, is is what city? Laodicea. And so as we begin, of course, we'll follow the same kind of basic outline that we've been following as we work through this. But let me uh, begin by reading Laodicea. The book, of the, the letter to Laodicea, at least in my mind, is probably the most well-familiar passage of one of the churches. Um, growing up for some reason and i grew up in like the the went to youth camps in the 90s this was like the youth uh sermon that you heard every camp you went to because of dealing with hot and or cold and we'll talk about that uh here a little bit but the church of laodicea uh verse 14 of revelation chapter 3 says this to the messenger or to the angel of the church in laodicea write these are the words of the amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, and that they are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth, because you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked i counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom i love i rebuke and discipline therefore be earnest and repent here i am i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice opens the door then I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, and again we've seen that word, victorious, the overcomer, the one who prevails to the end, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. And just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And so the first verse, uh, verse 14, of course, is that that greeting. And of course, we all know that this is the greeting to the church there in Laodicea. So when we look at the map of Laodicea. It's kind of on the bottom there um, where Laodicea is at. It's actually a sister, a sister city to the city there of Colossae. Because we're really more familiar with the, the city of Colossae because that's the city that Paul went, went to. And he we have a letter in our New Testament called, called what? Colossians. And he wrote that to the believers there in Colossae. 
Now, there is some interesting debate about Col Colossians is that he probably wrote that letter to both cities. Though, even though we call it the book of Colossians because it says to the, to the believers in Colossae, there is a, a, a reference in there to a letter to the church of Laodicea and that they were supposed to kind of flip-flop uh, letters uh, so forth. So, so all of to say, Paul probably knew the believers here in Laodicea just like he does in the believers there in, in Colossae. Uh, but that says, if you go to... I mean, this is modern-day Turkey. You can see ruins. And the interesting thing about Laodicea... It was it was a very 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 wealthy city. We don't see that nowadays because you see ruins. Uh, but they just re um, restored this fountain, and the the magnitude of this. Um, if you were if you were down if you were an average guy or it's about you know about six foot tall, and you stood right on by that kind of porch area uh, that's that's about six foot above ground there uh, it's, it's just massive Laodicea here was kind of the reason why it was a very wealthy area was because it was kind of a again commerce if you look at the map if you want to keep on going to um, to like uh, the like modern day Russia and so forth, you just kept on going right past it. So there's a lot of commerce going in and out of the area. You also just have uh, a lot of, of businesses. Uh, the one of the things that the town is known for is is has some of the softest black wool that you could get in the whole area. Tradition goes the reason why there was the wool was so soft in the area is because the sheep drank the water of Laodicea. We'll talk about that here in a bit, that uh, they did not get water. There was no water in Laodicea. But they had, this is a huge gymnasium that they had. Uh, this is an area, again, because it's kind of around Philadelphia. Last time we talked about Philadelphia, very prone to earthquakes. Laodicea was very prone to earthquakes as well. So far, you can see the wealth. When Philadelphia experienced this major earthquake around 60... Uh, 60 AD, 65 AD, uh, and the Roman government went to the city of Philadelphia and said, listen, we want, we will excuse your taxes, just rebuild your city. They went to Laodicea with the same plan, we'll excuse your taxes, just rebuild your city, and they said, and the people of Laodicea said, we don't need your help. We'll rebuild our own city, and we'll still pay our taxes. And in, and in reality, they built their city better than it was before. And again, that's how much money and wealth that they had. But the problem that they had was they had no water. And so they had to pipe water into the city. This is remains, if you go today, this is, you can see this is a pipe that they put. And what they would do is they would take these giant... Um, stones put a hole through it and put them side by side and and uh seal them with uh olive oil and other other stuff so that they can have this long pipe that they would have to bring water from in two places one was again you go back to the map one was that Hierapolis, and the other one was colossi Hierapolis had hot springs 
Colossae had cold, refreshing springs. And so you think about if you were taking the water through pipes like this, that by the time it gets to Laodicea, which is somewhere around 30, 40 miles away, especially from Colossae, what would happen to that water? It wouldn't be cold anymore. And that's where some of the language comes from here. The other interesting thing is, is as they were sending this water, they, they would do these giant water towers outside of Laodicea, and this is one of the ancient ones, is, is that. Now, we, we look at that and we're thinking, how in the world is that a water tower? Because usually we think a water tower looks like that. Does anyone know what the purpose of a modern-day water tower is? It's, some of it is storage. A lot of it is pressure. They actually pump the water up in modern-day water towers. That upper part is boiled with water. That They pump the water up to that, and then they will have it go out. And that, that's what pressurizes uh, the system so that when you open your, the, open your valve on your sink, you can uh, you have pressure we kind of take that for granted because uh we yeah we have good pressure here and and uh if you're in the borough you pay for it but you have good pressure so um so yeah unless you're a pipe we found out we had horrible pressure in a shower you had to replace a shower then we found out why we had horrible pressure because our pipes then they were from 1950 half of them were uh sediment. So when you look at the, their ancient water towers, if you want to look at, this is what it looks like on the inside. And again, those holes are pipes that they would, water pipes that they would put it in. And, there, and what happens, and the reason why it looks like this on the outside is because there are so much minerals in their water in Laodicea because they were coming from such a far away that uh, it was almost, they had to go through some type of purification process in order to remove some of those minerals. Or if you drank it, it literally would make you vomit because it was, A, it was not very cold and B, it was, it was very mineral-y. And so that's kind of, again, that kind of helps us understand as we've seen all along here. We understand some of the historical context, what the towns are dealing with, we understand more of these letters and why Jesus says what he says. And the, one of the big issues is with water that they deal with. So then we go to the next section of number two of these uh, visions from the chapter of one. When you look at verse 14 there, uh, what, um, what, uh, how, does, how is Jesus described? What are some ways Jesus are, is described? The Amen. Faithful and true witness, the author of God's creation. There you go, you hit them all. But is that from the vision of chapter one? No. Again, this is another letter where there is no title of Jesus from the vision of chapter one, which again it comes an interesting uh, about that. But as we just, as you all said, these titles, these four titles, three titles, four titles, depending on how you base them. They all are significant. The amen. When we say the word amen, does anybody know why we say that? And what it means? So be, it. so be it. Usually what we say, Jesus says, when Jesus says, especially in the Gospel of John, truly, truly, I say to you, literally in the Greek, he would be saying, amen, amen, or amen, amen. And it's a sign of, of referring to the truth. 
No, I'm, I'm speaking the truth, the divine truth. And so when Jesus says, these are the words of the amen, he's saying, these, are, these words I'm going to tell you are true, and these words are divine. Then he says, the faithful and true witness. We actually see the faithful witness back in chapter 1, but not in the vision, back in chapter 1, verse 5, where John refers to Jesus as that faithful witness. Again, the word witness is the Greek word martyr. And so when you look at, the, and then it didn't become, when, when we think of the word, when we think of the word martyr, we think of someone who dies for the faith, but specifically someone who dies for the faith in Jesus Christ. That definition didn't come with that word until about the third century. Because the word martyr in Greek just means to witness, to testify. And so when you say the faithful witness is that Jesus was that that faithfully proclaimed when he was here about who God is and the understanding of, of course, the gospel of Jesus, what his purpose was to bring salvation, that he is the true witness. And then depending on your translation, you will have, someone said, author of God's, author of God's uh, creation. Does anybody have another word for that? Beginning, firstborn, ruler of God's creation. The word there, the Greek word there, actually is for beginning. But it also can refers to the first or important one. The firstborn. And that's where you get Colossians chapter 5. Paul uses the same uh, phrase, uh, term. And so uh, keep your finger there in, in Revelation and turn with me if you want to. Or you can just uh, listen uh, to Colossians where Paul talks about Jesus. And who Jesus is, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. If someone could read that, if they get that, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And so here, Paul talks about the Son referring to Jesus as the image of the invisible God. In other words, if you want to know who God is, you look to Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. There's some goofy heresies that have come out of that because people think oh firstborn of all creation that means jesus must have been created no that's not what paul is saying there in the the first century culture firstborn was the important one we joke around with lucas all the time he's the firstborn son <laughs> he is uh in, in the first century culture the firstborn son was to take care of the parents. And that's why he gave them double double blessing or double at the end of your life. They got a double portion. Uh, everybody else got uh, the kind of the leftovers uh, and, and so forth. Uh, they were the firstborn. They were the important one. They were the ruler. They were the, the ruler over kind of that, the importance. And that's why Paul uses that. He's not saying Jesus is created, that he was firstborn and then creation happened. But he was that important, supreme overall. Now, when you get down to the same verse 17, where, or sorry, verse 18, where Jesus, Paul says, and he referring to Jesus as the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from, from the dead. That firstborn means that he was the first one to resurrect from the dead. And so that, that, that firstborn can have either a figurative or a literal meaning. And that's where sometimes you can get into some screwy uh, stuff if you take them both literal. 
So we go back to Revelation, and that's what the understanding of this firstborn, that's why we translate it even the ruler. He's supreme over creation, God's creation. He's the author of God's creation. He is the beginning, uh, was there at the beginning of God's creation. And so what Jesus is saying here to the church in Laodicea is, I am true, and my word is true, and I'm supreme over all. The people in Laodicea thought, listen, we have all this money. We, we, are, we, we are supreme. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm over you. And then Jesus goes on into that third section, the I know section, which you get into the next verse where Jesus says, verse 15, I know your deeds. And then he tells them, this is what your deeds are. And what, the, and what does Jesus say about their deeds? They are what? They are neither hot nor, nor cold. And again, when you... You think about their, their water situation. They have to truck in this water. Uh, and usually, when you've heard this passage taught before, what usually is the application? Spiritual. Either, and you go through this, and Jesus says, well, you're neither hot nor cold, referring to you're neither on fire for me, or you're, you're, you're just, or, or an iceberg toward me. You're kind of one of those, kind of in the middle, where you're just kind of indifferent. But when you think about some of these, again, this, this water situation, it may have a little, bit, a little bit different meaning than just spiritual, that Jesus says, listen, I either want you to be on fire for me, or I don't, I don't want you to be my follower at all. Because if you look at, again, that Hierapolis had hot springs used for medicinal purposes. And so Jesus is thinking, telling them, and this is what the people in Laodicea would have thought. You're neither hot Referring to medicinal purposes, or you need a cold, cold water that refreshes in a hot, arid climate. In other words, you're not really impacting your world for nothing. You're not really sharing the gospel. You're kind of just existing. And so then Jesus goes on, if you and we could probably classify this next section, what Jesus says as that criticism, where he says, No, you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to vomit you. And the, our English translations will say spit, but it literally is vomit and make you sick. You make me, literally what Jesus is saying here is to the church in Laodicea, you make me sick. And this is the reason why, verse 17, because you say, or they are saying what? I am rich. I, I am rich. I have acquired wealth, and we do not need anything. And again, the mentality of the town. The Roman government said, hey, you know what? We'll forgive your taxes to help you out. No, we don't need your help. We're good. We'll pay our taxes, and we will, we'll, we will rebuild our own city with none of your help. That's self-sufficiency. They were self-sufficient. They were complacent. And they got to the place where even spiritually they said, we have no need for God. Again, they, may be, they may have been doing all the right things like they were doing in Ephesus, but inwardly at the heart, and that's what Sarah uh, was talking about, inwardly they were telling God, we don't need you. We have this all figured out, God. We're self-sufficient and we have become complacent in their walks with God. But Jesus goes on and says, So this is what you say. This is why you're lukewarm, because you say these things. But in reality, how are you? 
You're wretched, wretched, a bunch of these, wretched. You are to be pitied, pitiful. You're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Now, again, outwardly, were they like this? No. No. They were wealthy. They had some of the best clothing in the world. Their town was, 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 again, if you, from the outward appearance, I mean, their town was it. It was, it was built. It was, I mean, it was, it was it. Like, they, they, um, they found and they, they kind of, again, you see the, the fountain of the city. They're, not every city had a fountain like that. That was a sign of the wealth that they had in Laodicea. To be able to build a giant fountain like that. That was a sign of saying to the world, look at how great we are. Look at how wealthy we are. There were, and again, uh, I'm not sure how archaeologists have figured this out, but there were, they, from modern day standards, there was multi-millionaires living in Laodicea during that time. But Jesus says, spiritually, this is who you are. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. You are wretched. You are to be pitied upon everybody. And so then, if you want to say the next section, which is a warning or a solution that Jesus gives to them, is, is in, in verse 18, Jesus says, is what does Jesus tell them that they should do? Buy gold. Try it in the fire. What else? Have white clothes to wear. Sabbath to put on your eyes. And so here's the solution. And each one of these that Jesus, again, they, they go, they're a play on to what was happening in the actual town of Laodicea. Number one, if you want true riches, then build wealth where? In heaven. in heaven. They were depending upon their earthly riches. Even Jesus says that, right? Don't build treasures here on this earth that can be moth-eaten and destroyed by, by thieves or uh, build your treasures in heaven, that eternal rich. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, buy, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. Again, it's a symbolism. The way Jesus is talking is build wealth in heaven. The other thing that Jesus says is clothing. And, it's, and again, it's um, white clothes. And throughout the book of Revelation, we'll see this. Who wears white garments? Well, Jesus does. Who else? The believers in Jesus Christ. And that's, a, a, again, a sign. Be clothed in white garments that gift of salvation. Understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in God. The other one is uh, the salve. I didn't mention this. Uh, in Laodicea, there was a, 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 medicine, a school of medicine at that time. And they, had, and they invented a, a compound that, that healed people's eye problems. And so when Jesus talks about here is to, to buy gold for me, buy white clothes for me, buy salt to put on your eyes so that you can see. Again, he's talking, he's referring to these things happening in Laodicea, and he is telling them, you know, that, that you are spiritually blind and I need to come and open your eyes to heal you from that spiritual blindness that you're dealing with. The same thing that happens in John chapter 9. You, you, when the Gospel of John, there's the reason why Jesus does sometimes so many of these miracles is to to show people that kind of their spiritual condition. 
Why does Jesus heal the paralytic? And, and, and because he wants the religious leaders to realize that he is God, that he has the power to forgive this guy's sin, which is why he says, I'm going to forgive, the, I forgive your sins. And then he says, to show you, to prove to you that I have the power to forgive this guy's sin, get up and walk. And that's what happened. Of course, they don't like that. Then eventually they try to stone him. John chapter 9 he has this heated discussion with the religious leaders that pretty much says you are spiritually blind and he heals a blind man to show them that you need their, your spiritual eyes to be open to the truth of the gospel of who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus is saying to the church there in Laodicea is you think you're great because you have all this wealth and all this stuff but in reality when you compare yourself to me you're poor you're blind you're naked so the solution is follow me build treasures in heaven follow me put your faith and trust in me so you can experience these these garments of white that we'll see it throughout the book of Revelation that the believers wear that have been because of the blood of the lamb that then they've been purified that their eyes their spiritual eyes have been opened so that they can understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and again the, another another famous verses 20 that we see here here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and open the door and again we, we usually use that as a way of of talking about salvation but really, is in context, Jesus is talking, is, is pleading with this with these this church and say, if you hear my voice, don't neglect it. It's like the writer of Hebrews says, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. If you hear God's voice, respond. Verse 19, uh, those whom I love, what does Jesus do? Rebukes and chases or disciplines them. Why does God... Discipline his children. Exactly. Why do we discipline our kids? To teach them what's right. So we, sometimes we have, we tell our kids sometimes because they get mad. It's like I can't believe you're not doing anything. We tell them all that. Listen, the reason why we're disciplining you. We don't, we don't say that word, but the reason why we're telling you no is because we love you, and we want you to choose what's right. And that's that's actually the definition of the word. D discipline. If you look it up, it's to assist that God disciplines His children so that He God can assist in their development of making right choices. It is not a loving parent, and sometimes we have this skewed. It is not a loving parent to let your kids do whatever they want to do willy nilly, because when they grow up, they don't know how to behave. And how many times have we seen adults in in Walmart's about ready to punch each other in the face because partly because they weren't taught listen like just be you can't get your way all the time God does that he loves us his children enough that he wants us to walk in a way that is pleasing and make right choices and sometimes if we are not walking in a way that is pleasing and honoring God, He will discipline us out of love. And that's actually a sign the New Testament tells us 
that's actually a sign that we are God's children when he disciplines us. It's painful at times, but God wants us to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to him. Which is why then, verse 20, if you hear the voice of God, respond. This is interesting. It's a, usually we say, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my what? Voice. That's usually how our English translations use it. The Greek word can either mean voice, like it's translated, or it can, the second meaning is sound. Which I would probably say, you know, Jesus is there knocking. That you're probably, if he ever hears my sound, probably fits in better to the context. It's like if if uh, you ring my door, if I if I ring your doorbell, uh, and if you hear my voice, you're thinking, wait, is he yelling at somebody or like? Um, but it's probably more sound. Uh, but that's that's nitpicking there. So, um, but just to let you know, opens the door, and then you have this this fellowship, and that's the important part. I will come in. I will eat with that person. That was the Jewish understanding of sitting down and having a meal with somebody. They were in fellowship. That's why the Pharisees hated Jesus sitting with tax collectors and sinners because culturally you just didn't do that because of that understanding. If you eat with somebody, you are having fellowship. You are their friends. You accept them. Jesus wasn't accepting. And this was some of the issue that was going on. Jesus was showing them love and compassion, but he never accepted their sin. He never accepted their sin, but he showed them love and compassion. In our basic outline, we jump to number seven, the overcomer. Uh, final verses here, 21, to the one who is victorious or overcomes or prevails, I will give the right to do what? And be with him in heaven. Every time you look at these seven letters, and you look at these, this promise, and that's really what it is a promise, that is that person who overcomes, who makes it to the end, who perseveres, who prevails, this promise is eternal life. And there's different wording, and here it's this understanding of sitting with, with Jesus on His throne, just like He sat with the Father on His throne, and it leads into chapter 4 and 5. Here, when the very next chapter, we look at the, the throne of God in heaven that we'll uh, see uh, next week. But you, you have this understanding that every promise is that the promise of eternal life and that they will have this eternal life in the new heavens and the earth. That's what they get to look forward to. That's what we get to look forward to. But there's a person that gets to look forward to is promised to the person who is victorious. The person who perseveres to the end. Who makes it to the end. And that's why then also there's that last verse. Whoever has ears, whoever has ears, listen to what the Spirit says. In other words, learn from this. Learn from this. We only have a few more minutes. So as we think about kind of the message of this. And we'll next week I'll give you a handout with all the churches and their messages and, and so forth. So that you can have. Um, but as we think about this. And how it applies to our life, a good question to ask is this, you know, are we like the church there in Laodicea? Are we becoming self-sufficient and having no need for God? Can we get to the point where we, we try to do things on our own so much that we become self-sufficient that we don't 
get to the place where we say, you know, we can figure this out, God. We don't need you. In John chapter 15, the vine and the branches, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. And it's the attitude, again, we're, we're Americans. We love our independence. But when it becomes a follower of Jesus, we give up our independence and we become totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. The other thing that we can take from the letter of the Laodicea is this. Do we equate material blessings with spiritual blessings? Because from the outside, especially the church in Philadelphia, you think, man, they're small. They're, they're kind of maybe struggling. And yet they're remaining faithful. And they're probably thinking in their heads, man, the church in Laodicea, look at how great they are. Look at their, look at their buildings and look at the, uh, I mean, just look at them. Surely God is pouring out His blessing upon them. But then when Jesus goes and talks to the church of Philadelphia, He says, well, even though you're small in number, you have been faithful to Me. Keep on going. The church in Laodicea, may, they may look good and fancy on the outside. And Jesus says, you're poor, you're a wretch. You're naked. You make me sick. <laughs> exactly. But how many times, and this is interesting, how many times do we in America, we drive by some of these mega churches, two, 3,000 people, and we're like, man, that's it. I wonder what they're doing. I wonder how we can, we, how wonder what we can copy with them. Whereas maybe on the inside, spiritually, would Jesus say the same thing? Something to think about. Again, in America, it's and again, it's all about and that's even the church in Philadelphia. It's interesting that these two churches are back to back, small in number. You are faithful, keep going. Large, fancy city, you are poor spiritually. Mm -hmm. You are blind spiritually. Something to think about as we think about. Even our churches, the church in America. I know I did not leave very much time uh, for for questions. So we will next week before we jump into Revelation four, and even if we'll have, spend some time, I think we'll have some discussion time about as we kind of review all of these uh, churches, and and a question to think about is as we go through these churches to, and again, that last phrase in every single one or the second to last phrase is whoever has ears, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So the yes, this message is for these particular cities and for these particular believers in that city, but it's also for us. And something to think about and something to pray about is is the the churches, this church, the churches that we're involved in, what if Jesus was to send us a letter, or is Jesus sending your church a letter, what would Jesus say with one of these? Which one represents your church? Something, something to think about. But we'll, uh, we'll uh, have more discussion next week with all these. But it's, uh, again, it's Scripture is like that mirror. That, that God uses to hold up in your face and say, take a hard, fast look. And 
and mirrors don't lie. That's why some people don't like to look in mirrors, and that's why sometimes stores make their mirrors to lie. Um, not sure if you knew that. Uh, sometimes dressing room mirrors are not actually they 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 they. If you ever if you ever put pants on at a store and you you look at the in the mirror of the store and think, man, that looks really good on me, and then I go home and I'm thinking, and then you're thinking, what in the world happened? Uh, type deal. It's because stores modify their mirrors in the fitting rooms to make it look good. Exactly. So if you buy all your clothes online, you can't you can't worry about that because you just have the mirror in your bedroom. So, but it is interesting. All that to say, it is something to as you look at these seven churches and the message of the seven churches personally. How are you doing? Which one will represent you? But also, which one would represent the message to the church that you're connected with through this church?